Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. And today we're going transatlantic. We're going to be talking all things MLS ahead of the Audi MLS Cup playoffs, which kick off with the wildcard games this week and get into the first round proper, which is a best of three series niche uh, at the, well, that happens at the weekend. So I'm excited about discussing that. And to help us do that, we're going to be bringing in our MLS correspondent, chief MLS writer, chief writer on the Ranks website. Over Only the writer. Year or so. And Mr. Owen Murray, very excited to have him back on the podcast. He was here for the draft we did last year, if some of you will remember that. So Owen's going to be back on in part two. I'm looking forward 
to talking to him. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me for parts one and three is our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, Jack Collins. Yeah, I'm all right, mate. Um, yeah, I don't have the have the knowledge to be on part two. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Well, your, your MLS knowledge is limited to LAFC. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? It's not far off that. I mean, I'm definitely uh, trying to improve, but... Um, Oh, the timing on the games always gets me and having kids means you can't stay up as late as you want to stay up. But um, you and Owen have got this by the scruff of the neck because you've become an MLS expert uh, this season. Now that you are an official writer for them. Mm-hmm. And Owen is obviously, well, he's in America, isn't he? He knows all about it. Um, yeah, big, big Seattle Sounders fan is our Owen and works around the club as well. So, yeah, lots to like about that. And, yeah. and I'm excited about discussing because it, it feels like a really good. MLS postseason it feels yeah. like a really exciting one and and I'm excited because I think there's sort of six or seven teams who could who could spring something here which is which is pretty cool considering we're getting to this point of the yeah season. this is the part when you I'm not really not sure about this best of three thing it's so American it's unreal um as we said on Patreon the other day what we see next best of seven to see who wins the tie like absolutely ridiculous but um going full NBA on this yeah yeah that's where we're at that's where we're at MLS is going to MLS so um you just got to accept these things and go with it it gives it a flavour, right? It gives it something different, and I, yeah. and I will accept that. I'm not 100% sure I'm completely on board with the best of three. But see how it works out. It, let's see how it goes. Uh, before that, though, we're going to do things we love. And you're going to start us off this week uh, with with a popular topic in the media at the moment, Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, I mean, a thing I love. Not sure it is a thing I love right now, seeing as Tottenham just beat my Fulham last night. 2-0 you were there in the Fulham end so I'll get your views on this in a second but um, it's just absolutely incredible what we've seen from Ange Postacoglu when he was appointed I was sceptical of it I remember coming on this podcast we did the reaction to his appointment and I just didn't believe that you could have a manager as unknown as that come into a league he'd never managed in at a time when they were losing their best player and record goal scorer and survive, let alone thrive. I gave him no chance of thriving. I was like, can he survive four months? He's done well if he does. Nobody knows who he is. Um, an Australian, will that go against him like the the Americans have when they, when they come over here if they don't start off well and that starts working against you? So he had a lot to deal with. And I've just got to hold my hands up here because how wrong I was. What a breath of fresh air this man has been. 23 points from nine games. Tottenham are top of the league. Harry Kane is a forgotten man. We have never seen a transformation like this in Premier League history. It's absolutely incredible what Postacoglu has done for Tottenham Hotspur. And it's not just in terms of the results. I don't know, mate. I've got to say that there might be a case here for Leicester City post uh, nearly getting relegated, refreshing the side under Ranieri and winning the league. Don't think so. I don't think that anyone's ever brought a style of play, a philosophy to a club and impacted a wider audience across nine games like Ange Postacoglu has just done. Like, who knows whether he can go on and win the league? Maybe we have got a new Leicester City type story on our hands here and Tottenham can win the title for the first time in their history, Premier League title. But what I just love, like the fact that we are seeing a team playing front-footed football, a team basically turning their fullbacks into forwards at times. He's just taking everything to the next level. So far, he's better than Mourinho. He's better than Guardiola. He's better than Klopp. None of them made an impact as dramatic as this so quickly. None of them. 
Fulham, as I say, played Tottenham on Monday night. I didn't go to the game. And the reason I didn't go is because I knew we couldn't win. And that's saying something. It's a terrible mindset to have as a football it fan. It's a terrible mindset. I hate myself for having it. But at the end of the day, I saved myself about 75 quid by not going. Um, it and about was... eight hours of your life. And about eight hours of my life. I can see how tired and miserable you look today. And you went through all of that. So, look, <laughs> it was going to take a miracle for Fulham to beat Tottenham. We're in, we're in poor form. We've barely played well all season. Um, so I knew what the trend was for Fulham's performances. I'm obviously seeing what Tottenham are doing. Bear in mind, I've been to Arsenal away this season and seen us get a point. So it's not like I don't go to any game where we're playing a bigger team. Like, I'm very... Uh, happy to go along to to these lovely occasions but on a Monday night in North London I thought do I fancy this no I do not we lost 2-0 afterwards this really rubs some salt in the wounds Ange Postacoglu comes out he said really disappointed with the second half Uh, worst 45 minutes we've had with the ball Uh, I'm not trying to make a point that's just what I saw I'm like oh man, that's the worst they've played. That's the worst he's seen from them this season. And we've gone and lost 2-0. Yeah, we had a couple of chances in the second half, but wasn't that confident of any of our players sticking them away. This is different, mate. This Spurs are different and you saw it. Yeah, they're, they're really good. And the the sad fact of the matter is that he's probably right. They didn't really get out of second gear yesterday. Both goals, and I, I think I would caveat this by suggesting that maybe both goals were mistakes and yet I still think if they hadn't happened Spurs would have found a way to to actually up through the gears and and go and win the game but they didn't need to and I think maybe that was the most disheartening thing from a Fulham perspective yes there was a couple of chances maybe if one of them gets stuck away with 10 minutes to go the atmosphere at the ground changes but it just felt like they were in complete control and I still think there's a reticence about Spurs fans to kind of not buy into it. They're 100% bought into it. Don't don't get me wrong. That is not what I'm getting at. But the first We Are Top the League came out <laughs> at about 87 minutes. Did it, I was yeah. like, I remember Fulham being in the championship. The moment we went ahead in a game, straight away, the entire Hammersmith then top the league. And there's still this reticence to be like, are we really doing this? Are we... Are, are we doing? Are we going? Are we? Are we on a charge? And I don't think we need to label it. In the same way that I sat back last year, and I'll be honest, I said, you know, I'm waiting to see what they look like, what Arsenal look like at the end of the season in the kind of run in under pressure before I say, okay, this is 100% the side that can win the title. And I think I would hold those same reservations for Spurs. I'm not 100% sure the depth is there if a couple of key players got injured. But right now, this team looks so complete. And to do that yesterday without Basuma as well, who I think has probably been Spurs' best player across the course of the first half of, you know, the, the first few games of this season is a testament to the fact that they were able to just roll with the punches a little bit. And in the first half, Spurs were excellent, really, really good. Van der Ven in the flesh is a very special player. Really, and yeah. I know there's always going to be Virgil van Dijk comparisons considering the, you know, obviously the VDV, VVD thing, but also, you know, the Dutch element of things, fine. But there is that element, the way that he glides across the turf, the way that he just seems to never be, you know, flustered or ruffled by a player running beyond him. He really is quick. And his recovery defending, especially when a player has gone beyond him, is exceptional. And and there is that element you're going, wow, we're watching a superstar being born here. And I watched him at Wolfsburg and I was like, good player. He's a good player. And that Wolfsburg side were a little bit hit and miss. 
to be honest. They were good, good days and bad days. And he sort of rolled with them on good and bad days. Now he feels like he's coming into his own, really maturing into the player that could be one of the best centre-backs in the world, I think, at some point in his future. So, yeah, I just think the Spurs didn't need to really go for it last mm-hmm. night. They didn't have that pressure on them because it didn't look like Fulham were going to score. But it, there is a, a real feel about them, a sense about them of control and composure. And look, I, I said this at the start, I was I was pretty hot on the Ange Postacoglu appointment. I watched a lot of him at, at Celtic and, and before that as well. And I was pretty convinced that he would be a success. But he took time to get going. He took time to get going in Melbourne. He took time to get going at Celtic. You know, it, it's hard to instill these kind of philosophies in your players off the cuff. And maybe it's the fact that he is now working with a slightly higher caliber of player who are able to accept these tactical instructions in a in a way that doesn't take quite as long as perhaps it has at other clubs. But I was wary that it often takes a while for his principles to be really embedded within a team. And that if that happened and it took a while, maybe fans would turn on him. Instead, we're talking about the Premier League manager of the month. We're talking about Premier League's player of the month in Yemin Son absolutely thriving under him. And yeah. whilst Spurs made a lot of that in the pregame, you know, bits at the stadium, which I was a bit like, all right, like, when they're doing the, the, the reading out the, the team sheet, they were like, and Premier League player of the month. And I was like, really? Do we need to do this? But it felt like they were, yeah, in complete control. And I think he's done a wonderful, wonderful job. Right, they're a big club. They, um, best stadium in the Premier League. And at the moment, yes, they've got the best team but, in the Premier League. But I've got to say, there is one major issue with Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and it's getting home. It's a oh, brilliant home, stadium. Yeah. It, I mean, but getting back to civilization, the walk to Seven Sisters is a good half an hour. It, you know, I mean, awful, there are some yeah, overground stations walk. closer, but because there are you know this many people leaving a stadium at the same time, the queues to get into them are ridiculous. The nearest tube stadium is half an hour away. I'm afraid that's something I couldn't be dealing with every week. But... No, it's a disaster. I've I've covered Tottenham a lot and I've done that walk many times or where I can. I've got a lift, actually. I've waited for a journalist who's actually got a car in the car park, see if they can drop me off down the end of the road because it, it, it is a... Well, you can't drive oh, anywhere oh, near it either because everyone walks in the road. So I can't even Yeah, you can't while the game's going the press, on, no. After you have to wait, bit, you might wait an hour or leave. You should. You could have left at like 70 minutes last night, mate. You know yeah, why I would have really been doing that. it's not really my scene, though. You know, how, you, know, you know how I roll. You know yeah. how I roll. But, but yeah, um, shout out yeah, and shout out to Absolutely. Very, very good. Brilliant to see. Right, I want to just add something on Sergio Ramos, who played against Real Madrid for the first time for Sevilla this weekend since he left in, in 2021. Obviously went to PSG, didn't play in either of the games that PSG played against Real Madrid. So actually his sort of, I, would, I don't want to say homecoming game because it was in Seville, but his first game against his old club happened at the weekend. And it was the most Sergio Ramos game of all time. And obviously there was lots going on. Sevilla have a new manager, Diego Alonso, who took over from Mendilibar uh, just before the international break. And this was his first game. And Sevilla looked much better. Much better. They've had a a funny start to the season. But this performance, and look, as a Betis fan, I, I kind of avoid praising Sevilla very much. But they were really, really impressive. And... They probably should have won this. And the man that should have won it was Sergio Ramos, who in the fourth minute of injury time rose highest at a corner and somehow headed over the bar from about three yards out. The narrative script was just there. It was written. 
and he actually nodded this one over the bar. But his performance here, and especially because his first couple of performances for Sevilla haven't been great. He obviously scored that own goal that gave Barcelona the win over Sevilla, which I imagine would have gone down brilliantly in Barcelona quarters. But it got to this moment. You were like, ooh, how is he going to face up against this team? He was clearing things off the line. He was getting mm. his keeper to, to, to make big blocks. It was a real Ramos performance. And suddenly it was like, wow, we're seeing him again. And, and it was great to see. And there were moments, there was this kind of weird scrap with Antonio Rudiger, where they both sort of rat each other, giving it real large. And at the end, they were laughing and hugging each other. He obviously went into the dressing room at Real Madrid after the game and, and spent some time in there with them. The Sevilla fans are starting to come back round, I think, after a, a kind of low-key moment of, okay, he's back. You've got to prove to yourself it's worth it. And there is that element of when you're so embedded in a different club. He left Sevilla to join Real Madrid at 19 years old. Last mm. played for Sevilla against Real Madrid, he scored a really good free kick. And he obviously then scored a couple of times against them. He celebrated a couple of times against them. He had a real tiff with the Sevilla Ultras behind one goal, who he said, I apologise to the rest of the crowd, but I can't accept that crowd singing songs about my family, etc. Mm -hmm. And so for this to be this performance and really, you know, very warrior spirit battling, and look, Diego Alonso is going to bring that to this Sevilla side, but he feels like the embodiment of that. And this performance was the embodiment of that. It was... It was amazing. And I just wanted to bring it up because I thought that all of the narrative around it and all of the chat around it, and there's been a lot of discussion about whether Real Madrid have dropped points, etc. This was Ramos's day and he was very much master of ceremonies. And I thought it was, I thought it was a really impressive, uh, amazing performance in so many ways. And he deserves all the credit for it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the thing that people have have highlighted on is the is the Rudiger moment, and it's it's the thing that's caught all the headlines. But his overall performance, uh, brilliant. Thirty seven years old now, Sergio Ramos, um, to be pulling off performances like that against Real Madrid, um, just goes to show you never lose it, doesn't it? Like you've you've always got it in there. It's probably hard to produce it consistently. We'll see what he's like across an entire season, um, because it's not easy, not just physically, but like. In terms of motivating yourself still, that's got to come from within at this point. Sergio Ramos has done it all. So he's now coming from within that drive to keep being considered as one of the best. And how desperate are you for that to happen? That's up to him now. But yeah, he's shown that he's definitely still got it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's all we've got for part one. In part two, I'm going to be joined by Owen to talk all things MLS. And then DJ will be back in part three, where we're bringing you a sort of gibberish that's related to this week's main topic. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, or it's time to talk MLS. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined once again by Chief Writer of the Ranks FC website, our MLS correspondent, Mr. Owen Murray. How you doing, mate? I'm well, it's 4.30 a.m. once again over here. Uh, but, you know, get that Red Bull, get that coffee, and we're ready to go. Honestly, I am. Your, your commitment to this cause has been remarkable. Owen and I were supposed to record this yesterday. Owen was up, crack of dawn, to try and get to the studio. The studio was closed. He couldn't get in. And he's done it again this morning for me. This is this is the commitment that I love. Owen, honestly, it's, it's a real pleasure having you back on. But also, thank you very much. It's, I appreciate it, it. It means the world to, to have you chatting here about MLS. And I think that this is... A postseason obviously has different formats, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But 
also I think is one of, especially in the West, one of the most open that we've seen in a long time. And it's one of the hardest to call. No, especially it, the fact that an expansion club is number one in the West means that it, it is that really, really open format. There are good teams all the way down to number six. Hmm. It's, 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 it's super intriguing. So, you know, for those of you coming into this cold, we'll do a quick rundown of how this is going to work. So basically the top nine sides in both the East and the Western Conference qualify for the postseason. Eight and nine play each other in a wild card game, single game. And then they go into round one, which will be eight teams in either conference. It's a best of three series. The winners of those goes into the semifinals. Then we have a conference finals for both the East and the West. And the two winners of those play in MLS Cup. This year, Cincinnati ran away with the supporters' shield at the top of the East. They were by far the best side, I think, across the entire competition. And the East has been a higher quality, I think, than, than the West across it. But after Cincinnati, you've got Orlando, who flew out of the second half of the season and rising up the table. Columbus Crew in third. Philadelphia Union in fourth. New England Revolution in fifth. Atlanta United in sixth. Nashville in seventh. And then the two sides playing in that wildcard game are New York Red Bulls, who made it 14 years in a row, the longest playoff streak in active men's sports, which is pretty cool. And Charlotte, who have made the playoffs for the first time. And then in the West, as Owen alluded to, St. Louis, City won the Western Conference in their first ever year in MLS. Uh, they were followed by Owen's beloved Seattle Sounders, LAFC, Houston Dynamo, Real Salt Lake, Vancouver Whitecaps, FC Dallas, and then in the wildcard game in the West, it's Sporting Kansas City against San Jose Earthquake. So, I mean, I think before we get into all of that, the round one series this year has been expanded to become a best of three series. Now, Dean and I were discussing the fact that this is an Americanism in so many ways. And obviously seeing the playoffs in the NBA, especially the fact that those games become a series. And whilst I hope MLS doesn't make it to a best of seven round at any point, it does give it a unique flavor. And I have got to say, I, I'm not completely sold on a best of three, but I do quite like the fact that it's got, the MLS has its own kind of moment and it has its own style. And it's kind of dialing into that because trying to Europhile it, felt like it was coming away from some of the best parts of MLS. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They announced it at the start of the year, and I was concerned. I was concerned about it because what we often see here is that teams by the end of the year are so beaten down that I I was like, I don't think they can make it through a best of three series. It's going to be very, very spread out. I think the Sounders play next Monday and then the Saturday and then the middle of the week after that, so they've got time in between these games. It's not bam, bam, bam. But the other interesting thing about this format is that all these games will go the stretch if they need to. They can go to penalties. Um, they can go 120 minutes in every game, and there's that possibility. So I think really the advantage will go to the teams who can get it done in two 90-minute games. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think it is. And I think it's it's going to be intriguing. It also means, and I think that there is something of this, that in a best-of-three series, the favorites usually win. And I think that maybe that's something that we've seen, you know, maybe not so much, in MLS Cup or in the playoffs down the line, because we've seen big shocks. I think this reduces the shock factor. And I haven't decided if that's a good or a bad thing yet, because obviously you get these big moments and you get the the favorites crashing out, etc. I can see that happening far less in a best of three series. Yeah, it definitely gives them an advantage, right? And that keeps the best teams in it for longer. And you can see that. These, and the fact that they've added these playing teams, I'm not confident in 
either of the four playing teams to go and beat the number one seed. I don't I don't think that happens. I think they're going to be good games in those games, but I, I don't think that they go and beat the number one seed, which is very interesting. You even if you win that game, you're rewarded with, hey, let's go to Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which no one wants. No one wants. Um, talking of Cincinnati, should we run through a couple of the favorites for the competition? Then we'll talk about a few wild cards and some of the best games that I think we're going to see across this new format. Um, I'll throw it to you and uh, we can work our way through it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So we're Cincinnati off the top. They won Sporter Shield, but I mean, it's easy to forget. Just two years ago, they finished 26th and 27th, bottom and bottom, because they added a team in 2021. That's really, really impressive, I think, to go from that poor to this impressive. And they dropped um, their big guy, who we thought was going to be their striker of the future, Brenner. He headed off to Udinese right in the middle mm-hmm. of the season. And he was unhappy. He was, I, I want to go, I want to go, but I'm still going to score goals. But I'm, And then I'm gone. Um, but Acosta has been at an MVP level, at least equal to what we saw from Honey Mukhtar last year. And he's just so influential. Their wingbacks are where it's at. That with the back five, it it is very very impressive, and I think that they kind of play in a way with those wing backs that nobody has done in a minute. We saw a lot of wing back play from LAFC when they made that run, but it's it wasn't quite how Cincinnati do it since they have that back five and they have that stability to just let them go. Yeah, I mean Arias and Arias and Barriel have been sensational, right? And and I think that allowing two players of that attacking quality to be you know, and to give them the freedom to do that. And it deserves all credit, right? Because obviously Pat Noonan has come in here and he's stepped up to the plate when a lot of people were starting to really doubt this Cincy side. And you're right. Obviously, they finished bottom and bottom, as you say. Yeah, for good and reason. the turnaround has been incredible because they were the worst side. And, and, you know, this isn't a thing of, oh, they were underperforming. That Cincy side was really poor. And to turn it around across the course of this season, yes, Lucio Costa's massively stepped up, 100%. But to be able to switch the entire system and to be able to make this sing in a way that they were so dominant. And we were talking about halfway through the season, we were talking about the Cincy side, and they were pretty clear at that point. And then they added Bapenza as a striker, and you're going, oh, wow. They were that good without an out-and-out number nine. Now, he hasn't set the world on fire at Cincy. I think he's got... What, five in 10 or so in MLS. And we're looking at a, a player who, who stepped in. But I think that his addition has added to their allure and added to the players around him because suddenly you are seeing that link play from the strikers. And it just feels like they're a really, really complete team. They've kind of dropped off, I suppose, a little bit in recent weeks. And for me, I don't worry about that from a Cincy perspective because it felt like they were just like, cool, let's ease the throttle because we know that this is a long postseason and we just want to be able to gear ourselves back up for that as and when it happens. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think just the thing you got to highlight about them is their ability to go turn around and get that player with their Brenner money. A lot of teams will make their big sale. You know, you see teams like New England, they'll sell a guy like Matt Turner. They It's hard for them to turn around and go get that impact player that you want to get with that money with that monopoly money um right afterwards it'll often take them a couple of seasons you know sounders got rid of uh awesome striker over martins it took him a couple of years to go get raul rudy yes mm. you know in that interim time it's 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 rough you know we're starting guys that you know they should be starting a the league but you have this money on the table and you can't go spend it 
So that's a well done to Cincinnati for going out and getting that player. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is there any way of getting around them? I, I, they are favorites for a reason. They were supporters Shields champions, as we say, all the way back September, I think it was, start of September. It, it's felt inevitable for so long that you're kind of looking at them now and going, have they just been able to, to rest and recuperate and recover ahead of this postseason? I suppose there's always a question of if you do take the foot off the throttle a little bit, is it hard to, to build that back up? But I think on form, there is no side almost anywhere near them. No, I mean, absolutely. I think the way that you would go about it, if I had to, was I remember we were talking, or you guys were talking a long time ago, about how you would stop old Liverpool. And it was all about pinning the fullbacks. And I think that's what you have to go at with the Cincinnati team. You have to make sure that they cannot get forward in the way they can. They're actually, this is a little bit of a shame, but they're listed as um, like outside midfielders or wingers in the team of the year ballot or team of the season for MLS. So it's like, I don't know if they're going to get in, but they absolutely should. Um, you got to pin those guys back. If you can stop them from going forward, then you just have to deal with Lucho Acosta, which is nuts. Yeah, yeah um, it's easier said than done, isn't it? But equally, yeah. it's one it's one instead of three. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, who's in at number two? Who is their closest competitor? <sighs> I'm going to flip it over the Western Conference right now. I had St. Louis City in this spot until about 10 minutes ago when I was walking over to the studio and I said, now, um, We'll talk about why they're not there in a little bit, but instead I have the team that beat them on decision day. It didn't matter, but it locked their spot second in the West, the Sounders. For a lot of this season, you know, the Sounders, they look sketchy. It's what they do. We talk about it. Um, Brian Schmetzer backed his team. He backed his GM uh, when we were asking him, wait, why, why aren't you signing players? They didn't make a pickup. But they're here. They're in second place just like they always are. That number nine slot is a question mark. Raul Ruiz Diaz is getting to the end of his time in Seattle. Nicholas Ladero, I don't know if you heard, just announced that this is his final season with Seattle. It's very sad. He's absolutely the greatest sounder of all time. But this is a moment where if they can figure out that spot at number nine, if it's Raul, if it's Jordan Morris, if it's Bear who scored two goals in the first game of the season and yeah. hasn't scored since, we're paying him 1.1 mil. If any of those three can show up, um, this becomes a very, very dangerous team for anybody to play. Um, they took down St. Louis City on that last day, even if you know St. Louis City maybe sitting back a little bit, like you said about Cincinnati. This is when they get hot. We talk about, you know, it's it's a team that's coming to the end of their era, but this is a team that knows how to win games. It's the closest we have in MLS to a, to a dynasty, right? The Sounders are always there and thereabouts. And obviously I mentioned the fact that the Red Bulls have that postseason record, which is amazing. In fact, they they just overtook the Sounders for for that they record. Did. But it just always feels like there are, there are certain teams you do not write off, and there are we we often talk about the Real Madrid in Europe thing. Even when Real Madrid aren't at their best, you never write them off in Europe, and it feels similar in, in that kind of regard to the Sounders in the postseason because there have been seasons where the Sounders have snuck in, and then suddenly you're like, how on earth are they in the Western final? And the the truth of the matter is that as a you know and you're a, you are a Seattle fan but more than that it, it's about the fact that this team just seemed to know what to do when it comes to crunch time and that's why I think I agree I think you've got the Sounders high here don't get me wrong I think you probably have them higher than Absolutely. I would but there is an element here of you get to this point and you're like it's the Sounders this is what they do as you say and this is still a very talented side 
and and there are so many players here who who can make the difference, but also who will be able to guide players through this period, who will be able to look at this and be like, okay, it's the postseason. And I think when you're looking at them compared to someone like St. Louis, there is far less of that just nous to be able to work their way through games at this point. And I think that while St. Louis have been brilliant, and especially in the first half of this season, where at points they were unplayable, I do get this feeling that the Sounders and and also maybe LAFC, who we'll talk about in a minute, just will know a little bit more about getting through this period instead of St. Louis in their first ever one. And, and I think that's probably something that needs to be taken into consideration. Yeah, and I mean, I think something that's also overlooked is they won't play the Sounders wouldn't play away from home until they go back to St. Louis in the Western Conference Final, if at all. And playing in Seattle is tough for teams. It's something that they've talked about all season. There were quotes, you know, we want to make Lumen Field a fortress. Brian Schmetzer doesn't like that word, but the players do. They want to make this somewhere that it's it's tough for people to come and play, and it's absolutely that. Um, and if you have to come to Seattle and play two games in a best-of-three series, you have to come there for a one-off game, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously the matchup is against Dallas and Dallas have been hit and miss would be my my kind of way of looking at it. And obviously the whole element of the end of the West being a kind of toss up to get to that point. Obviously the Timbers fell out of that seventh spot on the final day and fell out of the playoffs completely and then now have no postseason. The fact that it was so tight, eight, nine, seven, feels like it's okay. Dallas have got away with one in that they don't have to play in the play-in game. But equally, I'm no more convinced by Dallas than I am by Sporting KC or the Earthquakes. No, absolutely. And, you know, these games where you have to go away from home, it'll be an interesting one in Dallas, really, if they have to go back there. And if they can get the series done there, like I said, that's a huge advantage because I think that the opposite tie, LA and Vancouver, could go all three games. If they can get that done early and get that rest time when the other teams can't, that's going to be vital. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, who's in your third favorite then? So this is where we go back over to the Eastern Conference. And I mean, we're going 1-2, one, 1-2 two, one, two here. But we, we've got Orlando there, right? They've got Nashville in the playing game, which obviously is a tough one. We know, again, that's a place that's tough to go play. Nashville can just sit back. In that seven spot is a little bit deceptive because they're better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they felt like a postseason team for so long that you were like, are they just waiting for it? Are they just trying to get there? Yeah, and I mean, it's easy to forget. This is Nashville who were in the League's Cup final against Messi and, you know, would have won it if he wasn't there like a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Took it all the way to Pens. They're a, they're a good side. But Orlando, their form in the second half of the season has been pretty remarkable. And... It's been a, a real turnaround because there have been moments where you're looking at Orlando going, I don't know whether you are unbelievable or just really, you know, having these moments in games. But I think what we've seen consistently since that League's Cup break has allowed them to really walk into this and be like, no, we're second seeds and we're second seeds for a reason. Absolutely. And we talk about players who know how to win games, but Oscar Pereja knows how to win a game. And he, as a manager in MLS, he's one of those guys that's just around here and he can take teams maybe further than they should be going and Orlando should already be going far. So I'd be worried about them. Mm. And, you know, what they've done really well is something that's really, really difficult, maybe the most difficult thing to do in MLS from a signing standpoint is they have grabbed somebody absolutely incredible out of the draft, Duncan McGuire, um, who's starting up front for them. If you asked me that at the beginning of the season, I would say who? The really interesting thing about 
you know, soccer, MLS, as compared to other American sports, is that the draft just isn't that lucrative. Guys like Jordan Morris and Dylan Tevez, who would have been number one picks in the draft, both deferred and they said, we're, we're just going to go sign a homegrown contract instead. We're going to go sign with our hometown team. So it's really, really rare for teams to get a really solid player out of the draft. And if you can get a guy like Duncan McGuire, oh my goodness. I mean, he's got 13 goals this season. He should be up there for rookie of the year, you know? And and there's that's just such a fantastic thing for them to have up there. And he's going to be there. If he doesn't go to Europe, he'll be there for, you know, the next eight or nine years for them. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Orlando have a track record of doing this, right? In 2015, they brought through Kyle Larin. Um, and then he's gone on to obviously play in Europe, but, but also become the Canada MNT's all-time leading scorer. Then we saw Daryl DK breakthrough in, what, 2019-20? And then he obviously went to West Brom and, and Barnsley, and there was a load of load of chat around him. And now Duncan McGuire has come through. What are they feeding them in Orlando? Because it just seems that they have this ability to bring through strikers out of nowhere who go off and absolutely set the world on fire in their first season in MLS. I mean, one of those things is having that guy Oscar Pereja there. FC Dallas were an absolute youth talent factor. They continue to be. They've got the last three MLS 22-22, which is an internal ranking the league produces uh, winners. Alan Velasco this year, Jesus Ferrer, and Ricardo Pepe, right? They continue, even after he's gone, to produce just fantastic talent in the league that will go out. That's where Weston McKenney came from. Guys like that, and he's obviously done the same in Orlando. He knows what to do there. Yeah, Brian Reynolds as well, right? Brian Reynolds came through yep. the Dallas Academy as well. Yeah, it does feel like they're, they're moving, but I, I like Orlando. I've liked them all season. They're a really good side to watch. Um, but I think that we could probably throw them in as favorites. It would have been a really interesting kind of wild card at this point to be like, oh, Orlando are good, aren't they? But they've they've become too good to be considered anything but favorites. And that's a strange thing to put on their shoulders because I'm imagine they'd be like, no, 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 we're just taking it along quite nicely. But there are a couple of sides here in this wild card ranking. And I, I don't know whether you where you're going to put these teams, but I did want to just talk about Columbus Crew before we started it almost because as entertainment goes, They've been the league's best this year. Oh they have gosh. been so much fun from start to finish. No, absolutely. And I I decided they weren't quite good enough to throw in that favorites. Being at number, I really wanted to make them wild card because um, that's what I think they are. I think they're a team that, you know, they're going to have to go away from home to the very best. And I think they can do it there. But if you get them at home, they can just play you off the pitch. It's awesome. They've got Darlington Nagby, league veteran. He's a timber. He's been in Atlanta. He wins wherever he goes, right? Yep. They've got Aiden Morris, one of the best young midfielders in the league, next to him. And then they just have him behind. Kuja Hernandez was from Watford. He's come to the league, torn it up. And Diego Rossi, who we were talking about at LAFC a couple years ago as one of the next MLS swingers, went off to Turkey, came back. Now he's playing for this team. And he's not the main man, kind of like he was opposite Vela. He's not doesn't have that expectation quite on him, and that just means they can play you off the field they've got a solid defense you know not nothing that blows your mind but one that just gives their team the ball and they can run with it mm. i mean this is it they've the results and, and the way that they've played this year and you know it is it, wilford nancy deserves all sorts of credit again you know we talk about teams being able to work things around and, and turn things around but to finish third has been pretty spectacular i think considering you know, the Zilla Ryan left and, and considering that there were question marks over how they were going to make that work, 
it it's all kind of ticked along and you're like how does this how is this going to actually play out on the field and obviously the start wasn't great and yet you get to this point you're like yeah the crew are loads of fun and and this is it it's it's a every game is a both teams to score when the crew are involved oh, and yeah. and you see these kind of 4-2 wins away from home the the three alls in the league cup it was all sorts of fun for, for like such a long period that i think everyone has kind of grown to love and and look given what happened with the crew and the entire save the crew project etc a couple of years back and the fact they went on to win mls cup off the back of that i think has left a, a soft spot for the crew in many people's minds but the fact that they have been so much fun this year has only added to that legacy i think absolutely i mean i think teams that are fun are kind of those teams that fall into that wild card spot and that's where st louis city falls too i i, I just couldn't put them in favorites they've had hands down the best expansion season any mls team has ever had they've gone they've hit all their three boxes they've hit their three boxes that you want to hit if you're an expansion team you got your dps you got your tam signings and you got your draft pickups if you hit those three boxes you're gonna have a solid squad right yeah but they have that solid squad and then they went with it you know they they looked at it in the start of the season we're like yeah they're not going to keep this up and then it was three months in where they're not going to keep this up and then they were top of the Western Conference with half the season gone. They're not going to keep this up. They kept it up. It's it's something not even on the level of you know what we saw from Atlanta when they came to the league or LAFC. This it's it's another level, but we the it's another level. But where they struggle honestly is in these pressure games, these big you know top ten battles. They've done enough to obviously be top of the league. They took advantage of a little bit of wavering in that western conference but in, in two games against the sounders this year the aggregate score is five nil to the rave green they struggle to win those big games and that's why they're in wild cards they're gonna have an easy ish road right that you get that playing game you get one of houston dynamo or rsl yeah i would I expect would, them to I win would, those games would you i i still think that the dynamo with hector herrera in there pose a massive threat to st louis's chances of being in in the final of the West. Absolutely, that's but I think the it's one upset. That, that's the one that sits on me. That's the one I'm looking at and going, mm, I'm not sure about that. I think you're right. I think they win their best of three series. I think they win it pretty comfortably, to be honest. But when you come up against, which I think is going to be the Dynamo in that semi, and we've seen them step up in big games, I've just got a feeling yeah, that's I mean, these where, are Dynamo that's where it comes who are to an end. Open Cup champs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and beat into Miami in that final. But they've just had a habit of turning up the dynamo in the in these moments and that's where i that's why i think i can't have st louis in my favorites and i think look it would be an amazing story if they were to go out here and and, and get to the western final if they would get to mls cup all of those things continue this legacy and i think that they're going to be around for a while but when you look at that that's the one where i just think oh, dynamo just got enough to, to kind of ease them out in the semi that that's where i'm looking at it that's my that's my trigger it's a series that will be St. Louis's to lose, absolutely, but I think they can lose it. Okay, and then, you know, I'm going to run down the list here, but we've got one of the matchups of the first round. This is a decision day matchup that we're going to roll it back. It's Vancouver Whitecaps against LAFC, and both those teams kind of fall into my wildcard slot for different reasons. Vancouver have really stepped up into that slot. You know, their last two games, their last three games, Vancouver, you know, stifled LAFC and Seattle in back-to-back weeks. They had a 1-1 and a 0-0 draw against them and then beat St. Louis the week before. 
that could be their exact run to MLS Cup. And we know they can win those games. Ryan Gold is a fantastic pickup. That's that kind of guy you have to go out and get with your targeted allocation money. Yeah. They got him for just $350,000 in summer 2021. And he's been fantastic. Around him, it's a little bit sketchy. They don't have that same home field advantage. But I still believe in their ability to go frustrate a team. And then it can hit him on the counter with Ryan Gold. Yeah, and that matchup and that link up with Brian White's been phenomenal, right? And and I think that Brian White might be out there for the the, the man who leads the line in MLS's team of the year. But actually, what was what was really impressive about this Vancouver end of season? Because you know, at the end of August, they were deteriorating on the edge of the playoffs, and suddenly you had this period where they had to go away from home for what six weeks on the trot because the owners had allowed BC plays to be used for various things, including monster truck driving and a couple of concerts, yes. Red Sheeran and Beyonce. And you look at that road record. They went away to Portland. They won three, two, they went away to Chicago. They won one nil. They drew one all away in New York. They won two, one away in Toronto in the Derby, obviously. Um, they lost fine. The last two of these to, to Houston and Real Salt Lake, but you're like, they've secured their spot through this mad run of away fixtures that, and, and you know, and, and we all know that in MLS, home advantage matters almost more, unless you're Minnesota United for some reason, who <laughs> better away from home. Um, but everyone has that home record. You know, th- those are so important to your plans of getting to the, the postseason. And so then to come back home and pick up a win and three draws, fine. It wasn't that pretty, but they got over the line when they needed to, especially when they had to stifle the teams, as you say, that were around them in the league. It was really, really impressive. And and that Gordon White link up, I think always gives them a shot. I'm with you in that. I think that and there's a little bit too much sketchiness around them to maybe have them running really deep in this. But I've been really impressed with the the team spirit of the of this Vancouver side and the fact that, you know, the caps have I've looked everyone in the eye and gone, oh, you think we're going to crumble here when we've got six away games in a row? No chance. And and that deserves all the credit. Yeah, I mean, but you know, it's hard to say because they're going to LA, right? And that's the other side here who are kind of on the other edge of that conversation. They could have fallen to that favorites because now they do have that pedigree, right? Yeah. We know they're able to go win an MLS Cup final, even if Gareth Bale isn't there anymore. They're not quite on the same level. But again, this is, I think... What's really interesting is they're no longer that St. Louis City S team who were like, can they win a playoff game? We know they have the ability to go win games. Now it's, you know, can they hold out? Do they have the ability to manage a game? And I think, you know, they've also obviously beneficiaries of that whole home field advantage deal, right? They've got 3252 down there. Great atmosphere. It'll be tough for Vancouver to go. Away from home, I'm a little bit less sure about them. I think that's where they struggle. Sometimes that doesn't matter, though, when you have Dennis Boenga, right? Exactly, right? So when you, when you have this and you have you have the man who's outscored everyone in MLS, it, is, it was a weird year. I think it's the easy, the easy way to put it for LAFC, right? The, the fact is that they started pretty well. They went away and they lost, obviously, in the, in the CONCACAF Champions League. And they lost that final to Leon. And suddenly it just all fell apart in like June. And and all of a sudden this team, you were like, oh, they're so comfortable. Started losing big games. I remember that 4-0 loss away at, at the Dynamo. And you're like, hang on, what? Sorry. We haven't then, seen that from them, yeah. And then it was like suddenly there was some results. There was some decent results in there. But you start losing. They lost at home to the Whitecaps. 
earlier in the season. They lost away at Dallas. And there was that run, obviously, where they lost to Charlotte, Miami and Portland in a row. And it took a little bit towards the end of the season for them to like, whoa, settle the ship. Settle the ship. And it was two nil-nil draws, both away at St. Louis and Philadelphia. I was like, okay, I think maybe LAFC have just settled and steadied the ship a tad. And they were able then to, you know, it was that massive win against Minnesota that sort of launched them back into the conversation. You're like, okay, are LAFC back? And with Buangas there, as you say, it's hard to bet against them. But they've been a weird team for quite a while now. And and that's the strange thing about this season. And they, they were so comfortable. And everyone was like, wow, they're going to win the Champions League. And as soon as they lost that final, it was like the entire season imploded. And it took them a long, long time to find their level again. Yeah, and I mean... This has kind of been the theme throughout MLS. You know, a team will go commit their resources to say, hey, we're going to go win the CONCACAF Champions League. And they don't quite have that same ability as teams in Europe to spread themselves across competitions. The top to bottom squad quality isn't there. It's just it's because of the salary cap. It's because of whatever you want to talk about. But they said, hey, we're going to go try to win the Champions League. Fair enough. That's what the Sounders did. They won it. They struggled. They missed the playoffs that year. So I think props to LAFC for being able to come back and get into the playoffs, but it's it's definitely something that I'll be interested to see how teams deal with in the future, especially they're expanding the Champions League. How are teams going to look at it? Are they going to go, we just have to fully commit to this, this is, we're going to go for it, we're going to win it, versus, you know, let's manage it. Let's see if we can win this game, but if we need to rest players in the Champions League, that's okay. LAFC went for it, you know. And, you know, they, they could have won, they could have won, they could have won it. I think back-to-back MLS champions in the Champions League would have been fantastic. You know, they didn't win it. They could have. And then they had to come back and face the music. Um, again, I think they're going to be a tough game for anybody. I don't think they're on the level, but they're quality all over the field. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right, well, let's finish this with a couple of you-can't-miss games. I assume that we were going to have the Caps LFC in that conversation. So we'll leave that one be because I think that we're all aware now of, of what that game means and how it might play out. But a couple of others that should be non-misses here, Owen? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple for a couple different reasons, right? We've got one in the East, Crew, Atlanta. That's going to be a classic, you know. You get to see this awesome crew team that we've talked about. Then you get to see one of the best duos in MLS, Jack Almada and Yorgos Yakamakis, who together, when you put them together, oh my gosh, they they came to Seattle and ripped it up. Yakamakis is just a frustrating guy to play against. Oh yeah. He gets some guys' heads. Absolutely. And I think that that I'm very happy that one's the best of three series because I think that's going to be, I think it has the potential to go three fantastic games. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, look, Yakamakis... I said when he came to the league that I thought he'd be top scorer. He's fallen just <laughs> short, but I'm gonna I'm gonna credit that to injury and the incredible form of Dennis Buanga, uh, and just be like, yeah, okay, cool. I think that was a good shout. But this Atlanta side are again confusing. They're great sometimes. They're they have games where they're absolutely horrible, um, but when they're together, Amaro and Yakamakis are are heaps of fun. And I agree. We talk about how fun the crew are. I think that's probably. You know, I think that's probably the the one the matchup we've got so far that I'm looking at and going, yeah, yeah, that that's the one to not miss in the best of three. That's the one you're gonna stay up for, yeah. Aside from that, though, I want to take a look at this wild card round, and I was looking at these two games, and I was like, I want to pick one of those because we talk about this idea of of MLS after dark. I don't know, if, is this a European thing? You say too, like football after dark? No, no. <laughs> we we do it for college football too, Pac-12 after dark, and we use it to describe just absolute chaos games right and we're like 
the referees are doing whatever they want. You know, teams are just throwing it out the window. It's the last game of the night. Okay, all right. You're on the East Coast. You're up at like 11 uh, p.m. when it's kicking off. That's what Sporting Kansas City versus San Jose has the potential to be. It's a one-off game. And these are teams that have a playmaker. You got Christian Espinoza and you got Johnny Russell. But they struggle on defense, man. And so those guys will absolutely run havoc. And I think that this could be a game that just goes off the rails. You know, if you get some questionable refereeing decisions in there, you could just see it explode, um, you know, both in terms of goals and in terms of guys not being very happy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think also the, the two games are really different. I think that the Red Bulls against Charlotte in the East is going to be a really attritional one goal could win it kind of game. Whereas you can see Sporting KC quakes as the kind of game that ends slam the over, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely hit the over. You're absolutely right, and it, it does feel like that because it also feels. I think with you know Charlotte being here for the first time and with the Red Bulls having that streak, there's a kind of element of like, oh, okay. And we know that the defenses are going to be on top in that game anyway. But more than that, it feels like quite traditional. Which I think with with Kansas and the Quakes, it does feel like you're like, ah, oh, why not? Why not? Let's have a go at it. And then we get we get to have a go at St. Louis in the next round. We're probably not getting through. Whereas I think that someone like the Red Bulls will see this and go, yeah, it's Cincy in round one. But we have this record. We are here for, you know, for a reason. And we play a really attritional style of football, which might frustrate a bigger club. Whereas I think with this one in the West, it's like, ah, just throw the, throw it at the wall and see what sticks. I hope so. Anyway, I hope it, I hope it sticks like that, but we will see. Right. Last thing, Owen, do you want to make an MLS cup prediction? I'm going to put you on the spot. Who wins the East? Who wins the West? All right. That's it. So I got, I mean, I got my Sanders coming out of the West. I think they have the ability to just push through games like these. I think they t- can beat Dallas. I think you do see LAFC in that Western conference semifinal. And I think that that is a tough series, but they get through that. And then if you see St. Louis in that last game, I think they can yeah, ease okay. through that game, right? Yeah. So I think the Sounders come out of the West. I looked at the East for a long time. I almost had Nashville because I was like, can they just trouble them enough? But I think you see Orlando come out of that side. Okay. I really think they have the, they're, they're one of the very few teams I think has the ability to go to Cincinnati and really frustrate them. There's obviously a history of number one seeds not coming out of the playoffs as champions. And I think that that's going to continue to happen here. I think that those two will meet in the Western Conference Finals. You get seeds one and two on both sides. But I think you can see Orlando in that final against Seattle. It's going to be purple against green, man. Go to Orlando for that MLS Cup Final. They haven't had that there before. MLS Cup Final in Florida in December is is something that, you know, we're, we're yet to see. And if you were going to ask people about it, they're like, yeah, that's Miami in the final. No, it's Orlando. And then I got to back my Sanders. <laughs> I I thought that was coming. I thought that was coming. I'm going to I'm going to say... It's going to be a Cincy Dynamo final. Wow. I've got a real thing That's about Houston Dynamo. Um, but I think Cincy come out on top. I, I, I just, I know it's the, I know you're right on the number one seed's not getting there. But I've just got a feeling that this side has that extra gear that they haven't had to use. And I think that they have the capacity to re-up it as well. So I'm going to say that since you break the trend and we see the supporters shield and MLS Cup in the same place. Yeah, I'm excited. Orange and orange, man. I'm, I'm excited. I did not have Houston Dynamo in two finals in my MLS 
bingo card. No, I didn't have that in my predictions at the start of the season either, but I am a Hector Herrera fanboy and uh, and I'll leave it there. But I think that pretty much sums it up for us here on MLS Watch on Ranks FC. And all I've got to say is a massive thank you to Mr. Owen Murray for joining us today and talking through these playoff permutations. Owen, it's always a major pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for getting up so Thanks early. Thanks so much. I can't Thanks wait so much to for coming on. see what happens. Oh, mate, it's going to be fun. It'll be loads of fun. Well, we'll be back in part three where Dean and I are going to be talking a couple of players each that we want to see end up in MLS next season. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for part three. First and foremost, thank you so much to the ever brilliant Owen Murray for all his insights on the MLS playoffs and what's going to go down over the next couple of weeks. It's a very exciting time in MLS and shouts out to Owen always absolutely brilliant whenever we get him on but I've got Dean Jones back with me how you doing mate oh yeah I'm good mate uh well done Owen well done mate took uh stuck me on the bench for that one and I deserve to be on the bench because I did not have that depth of knowledge on that topic so I hope everyone's enjoyed that um this week so we thought obviously we get the hot takes normally now and like by and large, they they're pretty general hot takes. And this week, I thought, you know, like we just done an MLS segment. Let's maybe end it with an MLS uh, finale. And so we've got hot takes meets gibberish here. And you and I are both going to rank our three players we would like to see land in MLS in the reasonably near future, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. We've got three each. So you're going to kick us off, and I'll follow you in. Okay, so here is my three. At three, Isco. Of course I've got Isco in the list. Leave Isco alone. He's Betis' best player. I need him. This is Isco's last season at Real Betis, and then he is coming to MLS. This is actually really funny because I was... I was sat there um, thinking about this. Um, well, we made we came up with this idea about forty five minutes ago, so I'm not going to say we've like had, had it's not been a massive debrief we've had. Um, and I was like. Who would I really like to see in MLS? Like, say, like, San Diego FC, just been announced as the new team. Like, I want to like San Diego FC. Who would I love to see join that team? What kind of football would I like? I want to see Isco. He's 31 years old. He's getting towards the stage of his career where he's going to have some big decision to make. He's shown he can still do it at, at Real Betis. Um, yeah, I'm going to do that. I thought, you know, I'm just going to... I wonder if Isco must have been linked before with a move to MLS. So... I just quickly done a Google search, Isco MLS. There was an article written five days ago saying that Isco is going to LA Galaxy. What? Mm. Yeah, Isco I to LA Galaxy. Like it, and it's like, it's a re- it seems like a reasonably legit article. I mean, it, the, the site was called MLS Multiplex. Not going to say that this is a, a place that I visit frequently, but I say. Sol- I read a fair bit of MLS Multiplex. In, in, well, it seems like I'm it's a very good. For, for, it's for great, mate. Their source said Isco has admired the welcoming atmosphere and enthusiasm surrounding soccer in the United States. He's seriously considering the prospect of playing for LA Galaxy. Fancy that. No, my go. transfer guru now just sniffs out these stories without even realizing it. Uh, so Isco, <laughs> Isco to MLS, absolutely all over it. At two, this is a little bit different, and I haven't really nailed down exactly who this person is specifically, but... I want a current star of the USMNT national team, the US national team, to go back to MLS in their prime. I want this to happen. I want somebody to take the lead here and thinking, what am I actually doing over here in Europe? Like, yeah, this is the place to be. Yeah, the football's a bit better. 
but am I actually making any difference to what's actually happening in this team? And there's a lot of players, by the way, that this applies to. Like, I'm I'm looking through the list, and I'm like, okay, so you've got Sergino Dest at PSV. You've got yeah, who's um, flying. Uh, Tim Ream at Fulham, who's who's coming towards the end. He's not his prime, but I think Tim Ream might need to consider this. I wonder this. if St. If St. Louis is the last year's stop yeah. on Tim Ream's career career uh, dream list. Be, just to be yeah. able to finish it in his hometown. That was going to be one of mine. I really did have a think about that one. Yeah. Hey, Weston McKenney, leave it, mate. You don't even like being at Juventus, I don't think. Go back to America. You're 25 years old. Go and be the star boy. Bring in I the actually, fans. I actually kind of disagree with this take. I'll be honest, mate. I think ahead of 2026, having so many of this USMNT, and especially playing in pockets, we're talking about three at PS3, right? In, in Dest, Tillman and Pepe. We're talking about two at AC Milan in Pulisic and Musa. We're talking about two at Juventus in McKenney and Weyer. I think it's great. I really do. I think it's amazing for the USMNT. No. And I think it's the thing that they need ahead of 2026. If this was in three years' time with the World Cup done, I'd agree with you. But I can't at this point, I don't think. No. Brendan Aronson, he needs to leave Europe, go back to America. To be fair, that one is an okay shout because it's not what a waste of time. sticking anywhere. Didn't come on last weekend for Union Berlin. Now, they obviously play tonight ahead of this being released. And if he plays 90 minutes in the Champions League and smashes it, <laughs> then that's going to look like a really weird take. But just the way that it's not quite sticking there, it hasn't quite stuck at Leeds either. I do wonder if that one's the one that might might be the kicker if you do that. My underlying point here is not necessarily that like Western McKennies actually shouldn't be at Juventus or Death shouldn't be at PSV or whatever. Maybe Aaron Aronson shouldn't be at, uh, in Europe anymore. I'm sure, but I'm not sure that club is is, is a club for him. Is the one. But my main takeaway is like just the prospect of MLS fans having a proper star of their national team to go and watch and to build it and to do well and then to give the other players the thought of Oh, what's it like? What's it like? And to suddenly start building MLS into a a league that can thrive again. Like MLS has got to change in the coming years. Finally, it's got to move on. It can't be considered a time at home. I, I hope they lift the rules around designated players and they change some of this kind of stuff. But I just, I don't know. I'm, look, this is a hypothetical thing we're talking about. And I was like, who? what would I like to see? I'd like to see more stars of their actual national team playing in their own country if this league is going to get any better. I think that's a fair shout. But I think right at this moment, it's a difficult one to push with the 2026 World Cup coming back to the US at that point. So, yeah, I, I, I take your point. Anyway, who's number one? Jordan Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Henderson, mate, is so. Th- this is a um, the ultimate PR move for Jordan Henderson right now. Um, he has been well. He made a bad decision, basically. He he obviously was was big on the rainbow laces and everything, and then he goes over to Saudi Arabia, and he's not willing to stick to his his principles that he was showing in English football. Um, he's kind of sidestepping the issue. He's not willing to. Uh, get behind what his genuine beliefs supposedly were. 
And also, he's playing for a team that is an absolute waste of time. Al Etifak played the other day in front of fewer than 700 supporters. Like, Ranks FC, officially bigger than Al Etifak. We have a bigger support base than Al Etifak. Jordan Henderson, sort your life out. Get over to MLS and all of this could be fixed. All of it could be fixed. He currently plays for Steven Gerrard in Saudi Arabia. Have a quick word with Stevie, see how he enjoyed his time in MLS. I think he pretty much enjoyed it. Jordan, get yourself on a plane over to MLS and you could embrace all those principles that you used to have and surely you still actually do have. You could absolutely embrace all of them in America. You'd be the poster boy of that league. And also you can play you could actually be a star of that league because you're still a very good footballer. At the end of this season, it doesn't matter where Jordan Henderson's playing football. At the moment, he's try like he's obviously got the Euros to think about. Beyond that summer, Jordan Henderson's not going to be in the England squad, so it doesn't matter where he's playing football. And MLS for Jordan Henderson is the perfect next move from Saudi Arabia. Okay, all right, I'll accept that one. I think, like that. I think that's fun. I think that's fun. Nice okay, little my, idea, isn't it, for his PR my, team? My three are a bit different to yours. Um, I've gone. I've gone a little bit less namey. Um, yeah, you've picked lads from like the third tier of Spanish football or something. No, I haven't. Although I've got this thing, and you were talking about this, right? And you mentioned it that the, the kind of image of MLS is changing, and it definitely is. It's definitely changing away from what it was five, six years ago. We're seeing much more kind of young players go in and and have a moment to thrive. And a player that I've always loved, who has not reached the peaks that I really wanted him to reach, was Carlos Alenia, who was kind of La Masia's star boy at one point, really, really highly rated by Barcelona. He went off on loan, he came to Betis, he went to Hatafe on loan, and he eventually made that move to Hatafe permanent. And he's playing in a side in Hatafe who kind of play murder ball under Borderlas. And I think Alenia is a better player than that. And I think what we see what Ricky Pooj has done to go out there and, and really shine in that LA Galaxy midfield, in an LA Galaxy side that isn't particularly good, let's be clear, this year, but Pooj is having a moment. And he's allowed to play this kind of expansive, expressive game that I think we love. He's a bit of a whirlwind, Pooj. Alenia's a little bit more of a composed footballer. He's a little bit more of a, a passer to Pooj's kind of whirlwind dynamism. But I really, really like him. And I think that this is the kind of move that might just be like, ooh, you could go and dominate midfields here, Carlos. And I think it'd be a really interesting one for him to go and explore. So Carlos Alenia is my my number three. I like that. Yeah, yeah I like that. In fact, I think they should have um, a partnership, Barcelona, with players like that. Because they've had loads of them. And they just go over to America. Like as soon as things aren't aren't working out, they should have some sort That's of what partnership. happened in, in in one of the Fifas when you were Alex Hunter, right? And they were like, right, we're farming you out to LA Galaxy for a bit. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's a real life it's a real life pathway now. Um, right, number two for me, and QPR fans are going to hate me for this, but Elias Chair, who is a gorgeous sort of number ten player, really small, technical, has a wonder goal or three in his locker, and is sort of being wasted away in a QPR side that looked destined for relegation under Gareth Ainsworth. And the problem is that with this QPR side, I think, having watched them in recent weeks, it's taken to the point where Cher is like, oh, I'm the only player worth my salt here. And he keeps trying to do way too much. And so the key is that now, whereas three years ago, he looked an absolutely rocket prospect at 22. Now at 25, he's a bit stuck. 
in that I'm not sure people are going to take a gamble on him. I also think Cher is the kind of player that will thrive in a team that are ball dominant and he's able to, you know, work with the players around him to make things happen. And MLS loves silky number 10s, right? It's what it does best. There are so many wonderful footballers in this league. You look at Thiago Armada, you look at Lucho Acosta, you look at so many of these players who have really shone this season. Obviously, Zella Ryan's gone now, but he was a wonderful player. Hani Mukhtar, who's gone over there. There's so many different players there who have shone in that kind of number 10 role. But I think that Cher is, is kind of tailor-made for one of these teams to be like, yeah, we'll build around you. We will make you our kind of main piece in the middle that will propel us up the table and into the conversation. And I think he's good enough to do that. And I think that that's yeah. the one that you kind of look at and go, oh, what kind of player would absolutely thrive in MLS? Cher is that player. And I think, yeah. considering he's sort of on the fringes of the Morocco squad, it would be a good move for him in terms of actually trying to force his way back into that as opposed to watching this shambles play out at QPR. And it really is a shambles. And that's coming from QPR fans, not from not from a Fulham fan looking in in any sort of anger. It You know, the, the kind of mood around the camp, I've never seen this low. And I think that he needs to get out of there if he's going to fulfil his potential and, and, and thrive. So, yeah, Elias share for me at two. I think that could be one of the best signings that an MLS side could make in mm. this offseason. Yeah, I like that. Definitely the sort of player that we've seen thrive in MLS before as well. So that's that that suits it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Final one and a real change attack here. And obviously lots of this depends on how the next couple of months go. Ronaldo. What happens at in, in this kind of doping episode. Oh. But just get Paul Pogba over there. Surely someone's oh. going. Someone's going. It's it's time, Paul. And look, this there, he's going to, it looks like, get a ban from worldwide football for some time. He's obviously at that point in his career where injuries have really taken their toll. And I don't know if we're ever going to see Paul Pogba reach the heights that maybe we had hoped to see him reach because on his day, few footballers as classy or as vibey as Paul Pogba. But I think that MLS could be somewhere where he really did rediscover a bit of that spark, given the ability to just roam around to do what he needs to do he's be able to to express himself in a way that sometimes i think he's been stunted in in his career in europe and so this is obviously very dependent on what this ban looks like it's a four-year ban then things are going to be very tricky but it does look like there's going to be circumstantial evidence it looks like there's going to be caveats and i wonder if at the end of that someone goes yeah i know paul would you like to come over here and play in MLS. It obviously has a big rapport with a lot of the basketball players and he's spoken about that, the sport and loving the sport before. I just think it would be a place where Paul Pogba could go and we could see some of the best of him once again at the end of this really horrible episode in his career, which has led to a point where people are questioning if we'll ever see him play again. Mm. I think MLS could be the space where Paul Pogba is just given that opportunity to thrive and shine once more and do it under kind of his own terms which has always kind of been the sticking point for Paul Popper is it was like, I do this, but I do it on my terms. Some yeah. teams, and look, Max Allegri is a, is a taskmaster at Juventus. We know that. We've seen him struggle in Manchester United sides that were struggling themselves and not being able to, you know, do that on his own steam. But I think MLS could be the place where he goes, yeah, I can show you what I was still capable of at this point. So circumstantially, and obviously depending on what happens here, I would love to see Paul Pogba couple of twilight years in MLS. 
And if you work for an MLS recruitment team, please do not uh, falter in contacting me and Jack Collins for our long list of talent that would be perfectly suited to the MLS for the forthcoming years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Consultancy services are available on Ranks FC. <laughs> and with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you once again to the brilliant Owen Murray for all of his thoughts in that middle segment. Our MLS chief writer, the the man, our go-to man when it comes to all things MLS. It's been an absolute pleasure having him on once again. Thank you very much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts. This has been Branks FC. We'll be back tomorrow with a Champions League takeaway, so make sure you're tuned in for that. Looking back at all of the action across the two days of the Champions League. But until then, we'll see you very shortly. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.